right, 1 Kings chapter 17. If you ask a preacher, someone who is blessed as I am to occasionally preach, what is your favorite passage in Scripture? He will probably tell you it's the one I'm working on now. You just you come to love what you're looking at and studying that just speaks to you. And this is one of those that did that for me. There's so much in here as we are introduced to a fascinating character named Elijah. This is the word of God from 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did, according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And it came to pass, after a while, that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, your Bible may read Sarepta, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. 
And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, Hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let the child's soul come to him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Out of nowhere, Elijah shows up. Just like he was dropped out of heaven into the scene, uh, scholars don't know where Tishbe is. He's a Tishbite. All they know is it's somewhere in Gilead. Gilead, as I understand it, is somewhere near what is now Amman, Jordan, if you know kind of your Bible map. But uh, obscure place, far away from anything that would be recognizable. This guy shows up, and in the first sentence, he's speaking to the king of Israel. Now, we don't know if he had ever spoken to him before, Probably not. We don't know. Elijah the Tishbite somehow has audience with the king of Israel and says, it's not going to rain until I say so. See ya. If there was any more to the conversation, we're not told. I have to think that the king would go, what in the world is that about? This ragamuffin is coming in here telling me it's not going to rain. Get out of here. Probably gave it no more thought until about six months later when it still hadn't rained. He starts thinking about it then. But as soon as he does it, the Lord tells Elijah, you need to go hide by the brook Cherith. Now, Elijah didn't do this just on his own. We're told in the New Testament that, it, that he prayed and it didn't rain. And then he prayed when rain returned. He, this was directed by the Lord. He was doing what the Lord had told him to do. And he says, go and hide by the brook Cherith. Now we know, we think we know where that is. There is a, just a dry riverbed. And this is up a little further north than where uh, Gilead is. This is up kind of north of the River Jordan, and it, um, 
There's this dry riverbed and there are caves there where Elijah may have hidden. So he goes there and the Lord tells him, I'm going to send ravens to bring you food and you're going to drink water out of the brook. Isn't that great? The Lord's taking care of his prophet. Would you like to have flesh and bread brought to you by a crow every day? That would get old, would it not? Not to mention its lack of being very sanitary to be fed from the mouth of a bird, a crow, a raven, which is an unclean bird at that. You, you think of the children of Israel getting tired of manna in the wilderness. This is all the man has to eat for a long time. The drought, we're told in the New Testament, lasted three and a half years. But we don't know how long it is until the brook dries up. It says, after a while, in the King James. One of the commentaries I read said the language would indicate about a year. For a year, he sits in a cave, drinking water until it's gone, and has flesh and bread, we don't know how much, probably not a feast of flesh and bread, but morsels of flesh and bread, he eats it for a year. And the water dries up. And the Lord says, I've got a widow woman's going to take care of you in Zarephath. So you say, well, see, the Lord's taking care of him right along. It's no big deal. Just go to Zarephath and she's going to take care. It's a hundred miles away. He walks a hundred miles to get to this widow woman. I dare say when he gets there, he's probably thirsty and hungry. And he tells her, bring me some water. She's going through this drought too. And this guy that she's never seen before says, bring me some water, and she does it. She goes to get his water. I think that's fascinating. It says, the Lord commanded her. I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee there. How did he command her? I... Maybe you don't think the way my brain flakes. I'm thinking, how did he talk to her? Did she get a vision or did she hear a voice? I am the Lord God and you will take care of this prophet that I'm sending your way. I think it was more of a, a sense or a, maybe a dream or something. I'll see this guy and I'm supposed to do what he says. I don't know. But he walks up and says, Give me some water. And she drops what she's doing and goes to fetch it. And while she's doing that, he says, and by the way, bring me something to eat. Now, that's pushing her a little too much. She and her son have nothing. They're down to the bare bones. She says, as, as your God lives, the God of Israel lives, we're, we don't have anything. I'm going to take these two sticks, make a little fire, cook.
cook a little what's left of my stuff and my son and I are going to eat it and that's it. We're going to die because we have nothing. <clears throat> the gods of these different regions were viewed by people in that day as tribal gods only. They were rival tribal gods. Your god, you think your god lives, well, you know, we're... Um, up here near Sidon, you know Tyre and Sidon up on the Mediterranean coast. It's kind of far north of Israel. It's up in what today would be Lebanon. That's interesting. <clears throat> Elijah has walked into the palace of Ahab and told him this, has brought this about, this Drought. Why? Because Israel is in a mess. They have become, they have come to worship the gods of the Zidonians. That's up in Phoenicia. And the god of the, the great god of the Zidonians was who? Baal. <clears throat> Back in the previous chapter, just toward the end of the previous chapter, verse 29 and following just a few verses. In the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, whose palace was in Jerusalem, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria. Click that in your memory too. 20 and 2 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. We knew Jezebel was a wicked woman, but she was also the princess of Zidon. The Zidonian king was her father. And he went and served Baal, speaking back again of Ahab, and worshipped him and reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And God has just moved his prophet, Elijah, up there to Zidon in the middle of the Phoenicians, to a Zidonian woman who no doubt worships Baal. She then speaks of his God as a God who lives, though she believed Baal lived too, and she believed that the other gods lived, and they were all something weird, magical, evil. I kind of believe that behind the images that they had built of these false gods, there were demons. I believe that. I believe that they represented demonic forces. This was spiritual battle 
that is going on. So, she says, can't do that. Can't cook you something to eat. And he says, don't fear. The Lord God of Israel says this, it won't fail. He doesn't just do a magic trick himself. He says what the Lord of God says. The Lord God of Israel says. And she does it. Again, she does it. I find this to be a remarkable woman. He told, tells her to go get water. She does it. Tells her to get him something to eat. When she has nothing, and by faith in what he said, the word of God is what he said. And she did it. A Baal-worshipping pagan. So, God honors his word, does he not? And he does hear the food doesn't fail. She has enough to feed them. Okay, everything's hunky-dory. And then what happens? The child dies. Her child gets sick and dies. What? Why in God's providence would that happen? Well, her response there is remarkable to me too. If, if suddenly your child dies, what would be the first word out of your mouth? Oh, my child. What? Oh, no, no, please help him. But no. It's you've come to reveal my sin. Sometimes I, I look at things a little differently. I, I thought, this is the thought that came to me. A number of years ago on the Larry King show, he had Benny Hinn on there. One of these faith healers, if you don't know. And Larry King asked him if... If you do something to heal somebody and then they supposedly get healed, but then later they get sick and die, why is that? You know what Benny Hinn's answer was? They didn't have enough faith. He blamed them. This lady has seen God work, but she's seen Him work through a man, I wonder, had she seen tricks done by the prophets of Baal? We know they try to in following chapters. They try to bring fire down out of the sky and they fail, of course. But she is not dealing with a trickster. She has been living with the prophet of God. No doubt he's been speaking into her life. And she feels guilty for her sin. We don't know if there was some specific sin that she's referring to. But when her child dies, just like we all would do, we blame ourselves. Oh, what have I done? Could I have done something to have prevented it? Could, I, could it be something that I've done that's caused this child to be sick? We don't know. But we know that the weight of guilt 
is oppressive. And Elijah feels her pain. He can't do a trick. He's a prophet. Gifted of God, of course. But the Holy Spirit is not some power that we can wield, some something that we can manipulate and use as we wish. You, you remember when Peter in the New Testament confronted Simon the sorcerer? He, the Holy Spirit came on believers and Simon the sorcerer said, hey, I, I want to buy that. Let me give you some money for that. He thought it was a, a power that he could use. Peter rebuked him. No, it's not some thing, some way for you to be a, a magician. It's God in you. That's what the Holy Spirit is. So Elijah here, he can't do a trick. Instead, he takes the child in, up to the Lord in prayer. And he prays to the God of Israel, please, don't... Don't do this. This is this woman has taken care of me, I'm, and she is supporting the work of ministry. If you want to put it that way, you have ordered her to take care of the prophet. Now you're going to hurt her. She's been faithful. She's done what we asked, and the Lord heals the child, brings life back into him, resurrects the child resuscitates the child, I should say, and delivers him back to his mother. Why? Why did she have to go through that? What is God showing her? That not the work of a man, but God living in a man, God speaking through a man. This is something different. This is what the Lord wanted to tell her, teach her. Elijah has come. He's not Superman. He's just a man. As James says, he's a man of like passions as we are. He's feeble and frail. He's, he fails. He, he can only do what the Lord would allow him to do and tell him to do. And now she gets it. The words in the mouth of the prophet are the words of God. God speaks and it happens. Not just some man doing something. God speaks. She gets it. I think she is one of the most remarkable characters in Scripture. She absolutely gets it. The word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. What When you speak, God speaks truth through you. God speaks and it happens. Oh, how I wish some Christians heard that. It's the power of God's word. It is not some trick of a man. Not some work of a trickster, a charlatan, a sorcerer, a false prophet. But <clears throat> that she gets it is fascinating. 
But what is the lesson for us in it? I think primarily it is this. God speaks through Elijah and a great drought, trouble comes on the world. But Elijah is not immune to it. Elijah pronounces it and Elijah is right there in it. He goes through difficult times. He's, he eats food from a crow's mouth drinks water until it's gone and has to walk a hundred miles hungry and thirsty. He, he suffers the same trial that he has pronounced on the people. And Jesus does exactly the same thing. The judgment that falls on us because of sin, Jesus is in that with us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Any trial that we go through, He's with us. And God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us in our suffering. <clears throat> Make this brief. My message is not brief. But let this ring in your ears. Let you think about this. In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, in the day that you sin, you will die. We all recall that, right? What Jesus said, in essence, is in the day you sin, I'll die. I'll be in it with you. I'll die with you. I'll die for you. I'll die instead of you. I'll pay the penalty for your sin. I've pronounced pronounced judgment on the whole earth and it'll fall on me. This is the message of Elijah, the prophet of God. We know that Elijah is a forerunner of who? John the Baptist. But John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Christ, and all of the prophets are forerunners of Jesus. There are things in this text that are similar to the life of Jesus. He's fed by the animals. It says when Jesus was tempted of the devil, that he was with the wild animals and the Angels ministered to him. He had little and and fed a multitude, loaves and fish, as Elijah had a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil, and it fed them, took care of them. You think of you think of um, the woman at the well. At the woman, when the woman at the well, who was from Samaria, by the way, was drawing water, he says, bring me some water. Give me to drink. She didn't immediately do it like the woman here. But she eventually 
was converted. And that was the purpose, always the purpose. Redemption was the purpose for God moving Elijah to Phoenicia, to Zidon, was to save a Gentile woman. Jesus said of this in Luke 4.25, And I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when uh, the heavens were shut for three years and six months. Great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, the city of Zidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Jesus was not a tribal God. He was God of the universe, God of all peoples, kindreds, nations, and tongues, as he is today. And he seeks and saves the lost by being with us. So, So what is the application for us? God says, I have, as I have sent, Jesus says, as God the Father has sent me, so I send you. We're to be among the people that are lost. It's a sad thing. We know Christians who say, I don't have any friends who are not Christians. Oh, how tragic. We've got to be among them. They've got to see Jesus in us, hear the Word of God in us, see something different in us so that they will know the God of Israel, that when He speaks through us, it's the truth. And they can't do that unless we're rubbing shoulders with them in the marketplace. And when you, when you go out to eat and you... You get something to eat, leave a good tip. If you have the temerity to to, to bow your head and ask God's blessing, leave a good tip. Talk to them. Get to know them. And then when they're in deep trouble, you're the one they turn to. Tell me what God's trying to say in this. I don't get it. They'll ask you things like that. But only if you're with them. Jesus, God with us, God in us, Christ in us, our hope of glory, do we forget that we were lost? We were enemies of God, strangers to grace. Do we forget that? It's only by His grace. Oh, I love all the hymns about grace unmerited, unworthy people like us, he goes to and saves. Was this woman looking for God? No, she was looking for two sticks. R.C. Sproul says, I wasn't looking for Jesus. I was going downstairs to buy a pack of cigarettes when he came to faith in Christ. The hound of heaven seeks us out. We don't choose Him, He chooses us. He said that in John 15. 
And how does he call us? Through Christians. Through people who know him. In Ezekiel 36, it says this. Some translations read a little differently, but essentially it says this. They will know me, God says, when they see me holy in you. That's how they get to know me. It's when they see me in you. Because you're with them. You're talking to them. Don't isolate yourself from people who are not believers. Oh yeah, you want to protect your children from bad influences. But you want your children to be a good influence. Teach them how to share the gospel. Be with them as Christ is with us. As Elijah went through the trial and as Jesus bore the sorrow of the very curse that he placed on us. In Jesus' name, let us all pray. Dear Jesus, I I love this section of Scripture. It's precious to me. It's sweet. It's it's, um, because it tells us about you. I mean, isn't isn't that it? It just tells us about you. We uh, pray, O Lord, that that we would begin to think when we encounter people, do they know you? Have they heard the glorious story that Jesus saves? You're wonderful to seek and save sinners. Do that through us. Help us to be better witnesses for you. Not self-centered, not a self-centered religion, but a Christ-centered religion is what we are about. Let everything that we think, say, and do be honoring to you. And may we be obedient to you, that they would see you living in us and be drawn to you. As, as you said, Lord Jesus, they'd see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven, not us. For it is certainly not about us, but about you. And we ask it in your lovely name. Amen.